Big Mark Podcast. It's me, your host, Big Mark. If it's your first time watching, welcome. If not, welcome back. Like I always say, if you ever wanted to reach out to the podcast for any reason, if you wanted to hear a topic or come on the podcast even, just hit us up on our on our DMs at in, on our Instagram or our Twitter at the Big Mark Pod or at the Big Mark Podcast. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Big Mark Pod. There's a few different ways to donate to the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. And again, please share and like and rate and do all the fun stuff. I know it doesn't take very long, but it means the world to us. You're going to have to bear with me today, everybody. Uh, I'm not feeling too hot. There's been a little bit of a, well, I guess it's just like cold and flu season uh, here in, uh, like I said, here in Southern Ontario. Um, so yeah, not feeling too hot, if you can't tell, but bear with me like i said because uh, i i'm super excited about today's episode because i had a great awesome time uh on the weekend reckless harbor played a phenomenal show it, essentially our first ever like show where we kind of like had control of the entire thing we were headlining we we invited the acts we basically just dealt with the with the venue and how they wanted to do it and that venue was the mule spinner uh, which is a, a wicked a wicked venue here in in Hamilton. Uh, it's at it's at the Cotton Factory in Hamilton, uh, which the Cotton Factory um, it, it's well it's like it's like I said it is a cotton factory or like its name says it was originally built in 1900, so uh, it's well over 100 years old. And again, um, the Mule Spinner, which is this. Um, auxiliary building on the property, um, like there the cotton factory itself obviously is a giant factory, but there was like some kind of like smaller little auxiliary shops, and um, it's called the mule spinner because essentially, like, kind of you know like the the thing that Rumpelstiltskin used basically to like make yarn and shit. It's kind of like an industrial version of that. Um, so it kind of like spins spins the the raw cotton to yarn and things like that. And like it was a it was an active cotton factory for years. Like my mom said that she bought like diapers for me there. So up in at least to the early nineties it was still popping. But um it has since shut down, so it is no longer an active cotton factory, but it has been co-opted by a multitude of artists i guess forge and foster kind of runs it i'm not sure who actually runs it but like a real estate company i think here in hamilton runs it but again there's gosh i, I couldn't even be begin to tell you how many businesses there in, there are in there because there's all kinds of different spaces large multi-use spaces there's like a huge kind of like open gallery again you can use for anything it was actually where my first band out of university um after i graduated i started uh, I, I was a part of a band uh and that was our first show at like there and we had like over 400 people there it was basically like we ran it like it was a stag and doe 
just selling tickets like crazy. Like it was an insane start. But again, the cotton factory is has is a place that's really near and dear to my heart, which I'll go on in today's episode in more detail. Or I'll go into it into into it with a little bit more detail. Because um again, apart from that that usable space it's just like a place for artists and yoga studios and anywhere from like carpenters to like sculptors it's just like such a wicked place and there's like it's kind of smack dab in the heart of the industrial area here in Hamilton which most of the time is pretty pretty greasy and there's some some characters that are around there but really you don't really find too many people wandering as much down there just because it's kind of like just industrial shit around there so anyway this the cotton factory and the mule spinner um is is kind of nestled nicely in there so it has like this really interesting like it's inherently hamilton the only thing that kind of is going against it is that it is in the heart of the industrial district so it's kind of like weirdly out of the way you kind of have to take a cab or an uber or drive um but when we played September 30th, 2023, um, whenever you're listening to this podcast, for me, it was last Saturday. Um, but we played a game and so did the Thai Cat, or we played a game. We played a show that night and then the Thai Cats also played a show that night and it was Masters Homecoming. So Hamilton was a buzz and it is the Cotton Factory and the Mule Spinner are quite close to the to Tim Hortons Field, which is the Thai Cats home stadium, the CFL team here in Hamilton. Um, and you could like hear the cheers coming from the stadium and stuff if you were outside and it was cool. And again, you know, it's, it's really interesting running your own show. You tend to make a little bit more money, but you tend to stress a little bit more, at least the way I look at it. And again, it's always tough. Like, of course we invited all these people, you know, we started planning this maybe, I think we only started inviting people to the show or like, you know, solidified everything only about like a month before the actual show. So we were kind of, you know, we were kind of pushing it a little bit, but we ended up selling the show out, which is phenomenal. And it was 25 bucks a ticket. And there's a, I might've mentioned this before on the show, but I I really don't like talking to people and kind of schmoozing too much before the show. Um, I find that it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of energy out of me. I remember before playing shows like in that band right out of university, um, and like inviting people and felt like I had to host and make sure everyone was happy and talk. And then all of a sudden I got to go up on stage and I'm already fucking spent half my gas tank just talking to people. And then the first time we ever played a show where there was like a green room that I could just go and hide in, I felt phenomenal for the show. And then I'll chill and talk with everyone after the show all, all the time. But it has nothing to do with people. It's it's me because I want to give people my energy. And I want to, again, I, I do feel that obligation to almost like host them. Um, but again, it just takes too much out of me for the show. And I want to give the best show I can do. That's the only way I can truly thank you for coming is is by putting on the best show I can. So um, at at the venue, at the meal spinner, there wasn't really a place I could go. There kind of was a place that I could hide outside, but... Then we had um, like Trevor, Trevor's girlfriend, Elle, and then um, John, his his good friend, Emily. I don't want to step on any toes because I've done it already. 
but uh, she, they both played, so I wanted to watch them both. And uh, but so then you end up, I ended up doing exactly what I tried to to not do. Um, but again, it was great. I was happy to be able to see see Ellen Ellen Emily play. Um, it was it was it was great. L goes by the name Libby Star, Libby Stardust, and she had a great show. And it was it's an interesting space. And what we were doing was really interesting. Was we were trying to we were trying to record and capture and and play that night with one microphone. So obviously, anyone who doesn't know anything about about music and and live music anyway, well. If you've never been to a concert, I guess you might not know what I'm talking about. But if you've ever been to a concert, most of the musicians have their own microphone. It's a lot easier to control that way. Um, it's it's you can adjust each person differently. They can be as loud as they want. They can be as close to the mic or as far away as the mic. Well, you know, within reason as they want. Um, you just again just more control. And if the if the venue is loud you can get away with it because you can use cert certain microphones that only pick up certain things. But a microphone like, it's funny enough, like the one I'm using, picks up everything, right? Like everything in the room is going to get picked up by this thing because mostly it's going to pick up in front of it. That's where the clearest is going to be, but it will pick up sound like from the room, which in a lot of recording circumstances, that's totally fine when you're in a studio and everything's quiet and everything's completely controlled. But when you're doing a live show, it's really fucking hard to, to control a lot of shit. So when Elle was playing, when Libby was playing, it was a little bit disappointing that people were fucking talking and we didn't really get a chance to kind of announce enough to say, hey, everyone, like we're recording and it brings me to a little bit of a bigger, bigger point is that people don't fucking give a fuck. And this has been going on for years now. Like I've been playing in in bands more or less on and off or more or less consistently, but like on and off since I guess it's like 2017 now. So it's been a decent amount of time. It's been a decent amount of time. And it, it has nothing to do with the band, has nothing to do with who they are, where they're from, what they did. Um, uh, even if you love them, no, but, uh, uh, like, so for instance, I remember this was actually pre COVID being at the Horseshoe Tavern in Toronto, seeing 5440, which was great. And we were going to go talk to the guitarist about potentially doing a, an album with us with this again, with my last band or a couple bands ago. Anyway, one of my old bands We're at the Horseshoe and, um, my God, I wish I could remember his name, but the lead singer of The Watchmen is playing. Uh, great Canadian band. Um, like, obviously, The Watchmen based off the graphic novel, The Watchmen, um, which is super cool. I, I, I really grew up with them. Uh, Daniel Greaves is their lead singer, and he was there opening for 54 fucking 40 at the Horseshoe Tavern the that night in Toronto with the checkerboard floors. That is the Horseshoe Tavern, and it was... Again, it couldn't couldn't have been it almost couldn't have been more Canadian. And Daniel's up there playing just him solo piano playing songs. And I'm like, people are fucking talking their ears off. And of course, the median age is probably like 50. Eh. Maybe a little bit low. Like we bring it down to like 48. And it's just like all you people grew up seeing bands like didn't you guys fucking 
watch them too or did you talk back then i get it like that yeah maybe this is like a reunion for a lot of people and they don't get a chance to see them and it's, it's a fun occasion but the same thing at the mule spinner it's like people are showing up and there's a fucking musician playing on the stage that you played money for like paid money for like why can't you have a little like a little bit of reverence i'm not talking about like it has to be like church um again in this case we were asking for that because we were recording but any other circumstances you know you can chat be quiet just don't don't talk so fucking loud that everyone can hear you you can't hear even the artist and i remember back to the back to the horseshoe hearing people just fucking the din was was it was cacophony of sound and i remember being like, what the fuck is wrong with everyone here? Like, this guy is killing it up on stage. He's from one of the best bands ever out of Canada, in my opinion. And he's playing some of their hits, too. And I remember these, these few ladies, older ladies beside me, talking away. And they go, oh, who's this playing? I'm like, it's the guy from The Watchmen, man. Like, kind of shut the fuck up, because I want to hear. I felt like I was the only person, and some of my band members were the only people in the whole place that weren't fucking talking, because I was like, yo, look who it is. I was shook. So that was a little bit disappointing when when people were, but, but again, they were just, they were entering, it was just bad timing. They were coming at the Mule Spinner this weekend with L. It was just bad timing. They came in while she was playing, didn't hear the announcement to say that we're recording. We should have fucking put signs on the door. In hindsight, we should have put signs on the door. You live in and learn, right? Like, that's the thing with, with, with music. And it's great. And it's so fun. And I'm so I'm so grateful for these, like, past five, six years almost of experience. Because you see all this shit. It's like, eventually, you're going to see kind of all the things that can happen. Hopefully, that takes years and years. And I get to go out on the road and get to learn some new things out there. But as far as, like, standard shows are going... You pretty much know what to expect and know what to go into it. That's why I never fucking show up with anything that's battery powered. You know, yes, that can be an issue in its own right if there's no if there's no power. But most fucking bars, at least at this point, are going to have a plug. Um, and then, you know, maybe if you bring your own mic, you can bring all bacon. You can basically bring everything you need for you to just do your thing. Doesn't have to be much. Um, and... But but that's all experience. That all comes out of experience. And speaking of experience, we were trying to do everything with this one mic, and I think L did an awesome job. When and again, when you're when you're playing with one microphone too, you're also it's picking up the instrument and your voice at the same time. So it's this really delicate balance, and it's really hard to monitor. Meaning, it's really hard to like send any sound back at the artist for them to hear. Um, meaning, like it. it if you've seen if you've seen a lot of concerts of big artists and sometimes they looks like they have like a little headphone in their ear that's called in-ear monitoring um it's basically like just the sound of their like what the sound is coming out of the microphone so like i'm wearing headphones right now it's basically that i'm i can hear exactly what i'm saying where i am on the microphone i can hear how that sounds more accurately to what you guys are hearing right now. Don't get me wrong, I played a lot of shows where there's not really good monitoring and it's hard to it's hard to sing. It's one thing playing an instrument, but it gets harder and harder to sing when you can't hear yourself at all. Um, but again, luckily people were quiet enough and we got people quiet enough during the songs that 
the kind of room itself was a monitor and and playing around one one uh, microphone like that, it just becomes something really interesting. Like you get to kind of play with the microphone a little bit more. You get to come in and out. There's like a choreography almost, and we kept we kept uh, um, joking about that. But um, again, it was just it was just fantastic and and such a such a such an opportunity to try something new. And again, and again, I think, um, I think L did a L did a f- phenomenal job. Um, she just, it was bad timing, and I know she felt bad about it. But a lot of compliments. I heard tons of compliments coming from the from the the crowd. So I hope she's okay. Um, and then Emily Marks, uh, John's friend, tremendous, really, really good. She had uh, some complications over COVID and couldn't sing for a little bit and stepped away from music and then kind of got into yoga and that kind of brought her all the way right, right back around to music. And, you know, she did a fantastic job, sounded beautiful, nice, interesting, modern sound with a, a, a timeless kind of folk uh, twinge to it and just really really well done overall um but yeah um i just it was it was great and and a, such a wonderful surprise to hear because i hadn't heard her, any of her music before and john had obviously uh talked very highly of it and uh, highly of her music i should say and um it was great to hear and and again really wonderful that we had the opportunity and and we had that platform for her to be able to come back to music and have this kind of full circle moment because it was such a full circle moment for us John and I anyway our violin player in Reckless Harbor he and I have known each other those those past well I get it might even be longer but it's at least six years since we played in bands together and um we've we've forged a friendship going through some pretty hard times but again experience together major experiences traveling as bands playing with with a decent amount like we had six members in our band at one point when we were playing like it's a good good sized band like I played in the jazz band in high school we had like 15 or so and that was interesting like you'd really learn where you where you stand like how to fit in and how how to play around your bandmates too, right? Because when there's that many fucking people in a band, like 15 in a jazz band, if you don't quiet down a little bit during someone's solo, they ain't going to be heard even if they play as loud as they can. So cooperation, all that stuff really happens. And John is a gifted, wonderful musician. He is by far, by far the best musician I've ever played with. I've played with some amazing musicians, Eric Persichini, um, and my buddy Adam is a great guitar player and all my buddies, all my buddies I played with are, are phenomenal, but um, it's, it's been a pleasure in my life to be playing with not only one of, one of the great um, fiddle players in Hamilton right now, but it, as far as I know, he's the fiddle player in Hamilton. So he's, uh, he's, he also plays in Coda Facto, which is kind of the remnants of what was our, our original band with Alex DeRue and they're doing really well and they just play Gage Park and, and all that stuff. But again, John was integral at kind of me at the end of the day, at kind of me sticking with music. I mean, 
I was still trying to play open mics and I was still trying to do little things here and there, having fun. If I started, I was probably going to start a cover band and have fun and just play bars every once in a while. But John was gracious enough to think of me when he met Trevor and, and Lore, uh, Trevor Roach and Lauren Helder, who are the other two members of Reckless Harbor at an open mic, which was phenomenal. Um, during COVID and then they were like, Hey, we should start playing. And John goes, Oh, I know a bass player. Uh, so I'm, I owe my music, my musical life right now to John Harley. And, uh, I'm more than grateful for all that. But again, most of it started at the mule spinner. I don't think I actually met John until we were at the mule spinner because, uh, no, that's a lie because we played, we played that show at the cotton factory, but we were we were getting ready to play at the Cotton Factory, and that's kind of when I first met John because it was our first show, and the uh, our the the managers of, or the management of our band kind of chose to titrate John John's presence into into our uh, into our band a little bit long. Like we kind of didn't know if things were going to work out, so um, I didn't meet John right away when we started our band, which I think was 2016, I guess was the summer of 2016, because that's when I graduated, it was 2016, so I was out ski, or did I do 20, no, damn, uh-oh, time's slipping away, I blame the sickness, anywho, um, and when we played our first show at the Cotton Factory, we, you know, we that was when we first met Glenn Marshall, uh, who who ran the music anyway at, at the Cotton Factory and also was starting a new um, recording studio. He, he was originally from Grand Avenue Studios, really well-known um, producer in, in Hamilton in, in Ontario and Canada and really interesting guy. Super kind of grassroots, gets the job done, likes to do things live off the floor. Just amazing soul and spirit and exciting, excited and passionate. Um, and he said, hey, guys, like we're we're renovating one of these auxiliary buildings here because at the time, um, you know, in 2016, 2017-ish, they were still doing a lot of renovations at the cotton factory because they were kind of just getting it back going. I'm not sure exactly when they reopened it as this collective, but um, Glenn was saying, "Hey, like we're we're recreating this part this part of the uh, part of the grounds the this building here, um, which was the Mule Spinner. They're they were renovating it to turn it into a live tracking room for the for the recording studio and to do some some live music in there. But when we first went in there, it was still like practically a dirt floor." missing a pillar like it was almost like not safe to be in there yet and again like we would go in there and have to take all of our stuff back out every night because it wouldn't lock some shit like that and anyway it was it was fucking awesome and i don't know if we paid any money for it but eventually we struck a deal with glenn and we started working with him we started we started learning how to record an album and for sure that was our first true professional experience with recording an album and me and luke our drummer we're learning how to fucking play together and we're tracking live and Adam, our guitar player and all three of us. And then we're doing overdubs and all this. And we're learning all these things. We're learning not to fucking talk until, you know, the, the notes fade and you, you don't talk on top of things and you, you gotta, you gotta take it seriously and you gotta be professional and, and all those things. We learned all those things um, in this place. And then also saw 
saw the the meal spinner grow into what it is today and the trues the band the trues were, were in and out of there as they were kind of practicing for some of their touring things and we we also were lucky enough to work with bob lanois who was working with with glenn at the time who is who is a legend in his own right but also the brother of of daniel lanois and he has passed and and bobby has has since left us and it was awful um when when he passed and you know a lot of memories were forged he was great and such an amazing amazing character and always gave me a big hug every time i saw him and had his motorcycle in there and you know he had his he had his quirks but he was just a, just a genius like a savant really when it came to to um the the inner workings of some of that recording equipment and he built a lot of the board that we used and the board that we used Neil Young worked on it and Peter Gabriel worked on it and it's like it's 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 brilliant and um while I was working there I was lucky enough to introduce my my our good family friend Nathan McCrory I played football with his brother Jared what's up our dads played football together went to high school together super close our moms knew each other from high school like super close with the family and you know, Nate was asking like, Hey, what's, what's everything going on? Can I come and see what's up? And next thing you know, he's been working there kind of ever since doing, doing video stuff. He learned shit ton from Bobby still uses Bobby's camera. And it was such a wonderful opportunity that even on the show on Saturday, Nate was there too. So it was great to see Glenn again and just be in that space. And it was such a, such an interesting feeling going down there to do our, our sound checks and our rehearsals, just taking those taking that drive down there it was funny it was almost like muscle memory because i had de- did it so many times we, we were we would practice three times a week for three hours a practice so we spent like nine hours a week there most of the time yeah don't get me wrong there were some practices that got postponed but it spent a lot a lot of time in this place and having you know selling it out and having all those friends and family come and um it was just such a warm and exciting experience and all learning how to, uh, how to play on the one microphone. And, you know, it was, it was special. I mean, we, we got to record it again, like I said, so it'll be really interesting to see the, um, the results, but then Nathan was also doing some video recording too. So we'll see. I started sweat. It was started getting so fucking hot in there. And I was wearing, uh, this like Western, like cowboy shirt. That's like hundred percent polyester basically. And I was so wedding. So we'll see how some of those fucking videos come out. Cause I probably look whack, but again, it was, it was a special moment and it, and it, and it feels like it's going to be kind of a bit of a new chapter, uh, for reckless Harbor down at, at the cotton factory. And, you know, we fit in really well to that, that whole vibe, and we're, we're more than grateful to, to have this chance ever again um, to, to play there and do that. And again, running our own show, yeah, it's stressful, but but it was fun. We did well, and we were able to pay the, pay the, the uh, Emily and Elle um, some money out of it, which is great. And again, hopefully that sparked a whole new thing for Elle. Hopefully it was even a learning experience for, or sorry, it sparked new things for Emily. And maybe it, it even was, a, you know, as much as it fucking sucks. And if she perceived it as, as, a, as a bad thing, hopefully she can re, refocus and see it as a good thing. Because every, every poor experience, even perceived, is a learning experience. And everything that that's great has happened is just proof positive that you're on the right track. So 
that's all you can really do um, is just keep keep kind of plugging a, plugging ahead. But again, as much as I love doing these shows where we kind of get to run our own thing, it is also so much fun just fucking showing up to a gig, going in there, laying it down. Like again, some some venues kind of almost like set everything else up for you, and you just kind of like waltz into it. And those are all, always tons of fun. So hopefully we'll get to that point. Like I always used to say with our old band, like at one point we're going to get to that point. Uh, we're going to get to that day. Like, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever seen the movie, that thing you do with Tom Hanks. I think it's one of Tom Hanks's first directorial debut, uh, his first directorial debut. That's redundant, but I think it was Tom Hanks, um, first movie that he, that he did. He's in it as well. Um, but it's kind of like a Beatles, it's a bit of like a Beatles show, like if, if the Beatles were American. Essentially, the premise is if the Beatles were American and the drummer was like the lead star. And uh, there's a scene where they've been working with their like their normal like manager up until that point, which may or may not be Tom Hanks. Can't remember who who replaces who. But anyway, they're working with their manager at the time. And then all of a sudden, like Jimmy Fallon or somebody comes in as this record executive's um like hired gun to come and manage the band. Uh, he comes in and is like, Hey guys, like you're, you guys are ready to like make the next step. So we were always kind of waiting for that moment. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, but we were kind of waiting for that moment for a manager to step in and say, Hey guys, like, this is what we got to do. This is what you need. You're almost there. I, I can, I can make you what, what you need to be, which is fraught with peril. Don't get me wrong, but Hopefully Reckless Harbor might be on that on that trajectory too. But so far so good on the self-management, on doing everything on our own. And I think we'll we're gonna keep going down this DIY train. Like, don't get me wrong. This is this is the way we're gonna keep rocking it and, and getting it done ourselves. But we also gotta focus on getting our, our recording done too. It's always interesting. It's interesting where you put your energy in as a band, right? You go, all right, we're going to get some energy into into recording. That's all we're going to do for the next couple months. Oh, shit, we got to start playing shows. People are going to forget about us. Uh, we got to get some stuff out on Instagram and our socials, and we got to get streaming, blah, 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 right? So there's always some kind of horse that's leading the race here, and it depends on which one you kind of tend to to keep it balanced. Anyway, I want to thank everyone who listens to this podcast, who came out to the show. I really appreciate it, and I thank you so much, and it was tons of fun. I can't wait for the next one. We're going to be playing on a pirate ship soon. Uh, keep it, keep it on the lookout for that. But check out Reckless Harbor everywhere on social media. It's Reckless with a W, Harbor with a U. And, um, again, follow along, buy some merch, have some fun. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, I'll keep all you posted. <laughs> Keep on rocking in the free world. Thanks, you, thank you all for listening. You guys are the best. You could have been anywhere in the world, and you chose to be here tonight. Remember, follow, subscribe, like the channel, Patreon, all that good stuff. I love you all. Do 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 do. Peace.